You're all looking good today. Praise God. Um, last Sunday, if you were not here <clears throat> or listening online, Amy spoke. And you may not be aware, she's applying for credentials, so um, she's had her interview and everything, so most likely that'll happen um, in April. Um, she'll have her credential service like Christy By had last year. So that's going to be up at Flatland in Omaha. So it's driving distance. If uh, We'll get you the details on that if you're interested in uh, being part of that. So, uh, she's had all the qualifications, but um, decided now would maybe be a good time to do that. So, um, But she did a great job speaking last week and spoke on thanking forward. So in our study in Acts, so... Chris says, man, she actually follows her notes. So, yeah, yeah, without, without being obvious about it. Yes, so, um, so we're, we're going to come back probably to Acts after the first of the year, uh, but we are going to turn our attention towards Advent. So Advent means uh, coming, okay? So we talk about Christ's coming uh, at Christmas, so we call that Advent. But when we use that term Advent, it usually has a double meaning. It means His first coming, right? But it also is a reference to His second coming, that Jesus came the first time to bring salvation. He is coming the second time to, um, to judge the earth, all right, and establish His kingdom on earth. So Advent, I really like the term Advent. And so we're going to look at uh, some of the prophecies in Isaiah, Old Testament, that really speak to who Jesus would be and was, and still is yet to be. So uh, we're going to look at some of those aspects. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 42 today, um, and looking at that, we're looking at the merciful king. So in Isaiah, just a little bit of backdrop on Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the major prophets. You have Isaiah and Jeremiah are, are considered the major prophets. It wasn't because their ministry was so much more... Um, major or important, it's because their books are, you know, 40, 50, 60 chapters long, okay? So then you have the minor prophets, which are those uh, books right at the end of your Old Testament there. there you have several of them that are uh, short. Some of them are only one chapter, right? And then others are, you know, three, four, five. A um, couple of them are a little bit longer than that. So, um, but Isaiah and Jeremiah have a lot to say. Isaiah is kind of called the gospel of the Old Testament. And the reason it is called that is because so many of the prophecies talk about who Christ was in very vivid detail um, hundreds of years before uh, Christ would come. All right? And so they even, some uh, more liberal theologians would put Isaiah's writing of these much later than they actually are. All right. And so Isaiah is kind of divided up into two aspects. Okay, if you were to go into the book of Isaiah and read it this afternoon, all right? Or like when I was recovering from my surgery, I had to ice my eyes. And so I would, um, um, I had my Bible app on my phone, which we, we really get the kids using that on Wednesday nights and on their, on their smartphones. And so there's a setting on there where you can just hit play and it'll just read to you. So I put on the ice on my eyes laid in the recliner and listened to the Psalms and just got through it. It was pretty cool. I could get about through 30 minutes. I could get through 10 or 12 chapters of the Psalms, right? It would just read through them. So it's pretty cool. 
Um, so maybe you do that with the book of Isaiah. But the first part of Isaiah up to like chapter 36, 1 through 36, is a little more of a prophetic, judgmental tone to it. Okay? Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And so there's even some more judgmental stuff than that that you'll see in uh, the book of Isaiah. And the reason is because it was before Israel was going to go into captivity. And we talk a lot about that when you're in the Old Testament because there's a lot of books that are written before they go to Babylon. There's some that are written during that time and even afterwards. So Isaiah, that first part of Isaiah is written to the people of Israel before they go into captivity, 70 years in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. It'd be a horrible time as Nebuchadnezzar would destroy much of Israel. The temple would be destroyed. People are taken as captives to Babylon. Daniel, Ezekiel, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are those that are taken to Babylon, right? Okay. Um, But it would be a time that God would use that to restore Israel and to bring them back. So the tone of that first part of Isaiah is turn or burn. I mean, it's really literal saying, hey, if you don't turn from your ways... I'm bringing judgment. They didn't turn from their ways. And so God brought judgment in. And God can use sometimes even heathen, wicked people to accomplish His purposes. Did you know that? And you see that often within the Old Testament. Excuse me here a second. And so that first part of Isaiah has that tone. And then you get to 37, 38, 39. It's kind of an interlude, and then chapter 40 to the end, 60-ish, is a whole different, it's warm, it's kind, it's compassionate. It's kind of like, what's the difference? Well, it's because now Isaiah's writing to these exile, these people in exile as they come back. They are defeated, they're downcast, they're excited that they get to come back, but they're coming back to nation that has been destroyed and so he has Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple we've talked about that here this past year and they rebuild the walls under Nehemiah Um, and so they they do all that but it it's a lot of work right and they they they're having a hard time seeing the promises of God God have you forsaken us have you forgotten about us and God's message is no it's I haven't so in this second half of Isaiah you have four passages in Isaiah 42, 49, Isaiah 50, 52 through 53, you have these four different passages that are called servant songs. And in these passages, you have these prophecies of Isaiah that talk about a servant that would come to bring healing and restoration to Israel. And guess who that servant is in reference to? It's a reference to Jesus, the servant king that would come. All right, And Jesus will even quote some of these passages. Um, the other gospel writers will quote them. Um, and there are references to who Jesus would be. Uh, they are so vivid in what would happen, especially the one in chapters 52, 53. It's the last part of 52 and goes into 53. Uh, we refer to that a lot during communion. So that will probably be on our Christmas Eve service. We'll get to that one. All right, So these servant songs then talk about who Christ would be, the servant king, all right? And so we're going to look at one aspect of the servant king here, um, the merciful king in chapter 42, 1 through 9. So that's where we're going to be this morning. And would you bow your heads in prayer as we uh, look at this today? Father, we thank you for the word of God. It is the living word of God that speaks to us today. 
It is more than words on a page. It is the living word. And we pray for open hearts this morning and open up our minds that we can receive the truth, that it can uh, encourage, that it can correct, that it can uh, help us to see who you are and to guide us in your ways. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name. Amen. Chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Uh, let's read this together. I'm reading now the New International Version. It says, Here is my servant whom I uphold by strength. He is my chosen one in whom I will delight. I will put my spirit in him, and he will bring justice to the nations. <coughs> Excuse me, i got a tickle in my throat. Sierra, can you grab me some little more water? Would you do that? All right. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice and he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. You'd be surprised at, um, uh, yeah, just come on up, Sierra. You'd be surprised at the references to, uh, to islands in the book of Isaiah. And I never noticed it. Wow, you gave me a full cup. Good job. Um, somebody can do a search on that. If you want to do that even before we leave, you can do that. But um, islands. So I taught, I taught Isaiah in Jamaica. And, and so, you know, we read the Bible through our lens and our culture. And so I'm in Jamaica uh, teaching the book of Isaiah. And it's kind of like, oh, man, islands kept coming up over and over. So it's one of the books of the Bible that has a lot of references to islands. This is what the Lord, um, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth and all that springs from it who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and I will make you a covenant to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So we even see uh, that God's plan, even from the very beginning, was for all people to come to the knowledge of Christ, Jew, Gentile, male and female, to all to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to other idols. See the former things that have taken place and the new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Amen. So let's look at this together. The first thing that we see here. Um, that is going to come across in all the servant songs, okay, is that Jesus would come to serve. Jesus came to serve. That's your first point if you want to write it down. Olivia, your notebook is on the welcome table or in my office, so, all right. Jesus came to serve. You know, a servant really means a person working in the service of another. That's what it literally means here. It's an accurate translation. I think we know what it means to be a servant. Yeah. So how many would like to be classified as a servant? I am a servant, right? Yeah. You know, Jesus was the king of kings. We're talking about him being the king. He left heaven to come amongst us and to serve. And it says then, he is my servant who I'm upholding. 
and he is my chosen one in whom I delight. I delight. You know, in Mark 1, 11, Jesus is baptized. The gospel's recorded. And it says that when he is baptized in water and he comes up out of the water, a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? So just you see how Isaiah is tying all these references together. And so Isaiah prophesies that, hey, I'm going to send my servant. It doesn't say my son. It says my servant. I delight in him, and he's going to serve you to bring about my, my will here on earth. To serve means to your focus is on the needs of others and not yourself, right? And so that main point is going to come across as we look at these servant songs. That's one that's going to be dominance in all of them because here's my servant and this is what he will do but a servant is focused on the needs of their others of others not themselves and jesus did not focus on himself did he he came to focus on who you and i right that's where his focus was because of this he was able to offer mercy revelation compassion redemption and hope the things that we need and long for, he came to do. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, on one day, the disciples are talking about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of God, right? Who's going to sit at the right and who's going to sit at the left of Jesus in eternity? And Jesus ends that day. They come into a house. They've been traveling. Customary. Somebody should have been there. A servant should have been there to do what? To wash their feet, right? They've been traveling the dusty roads in sandals. Jesus takes a towel, a basin of water, and he does what? He washes their feet. The disciples are appalled because that was the role of a servant. And Jesus says, hey, you're not willing to let me wash your feet you have no place with me in the kingdom of god and he says this is what i want you to model in your own lives to serve jesus came to serve you know and i think during christmas time that needs to be pretty evident in our lives as a christian why because secular society is making it all about ourselves right what am i going to get for christmas right i know none of you are like that you've all matured past that and you don't think about that, right? But we often think of our secular society, it's all about, you know, the wife that gets the new GMC pickup for her husband. And she gets the dog. I don't know if that's a good, you know, it's probably a good dog, but I, I don't know. I, does that even compare? I don't know. All right. But they make it all about the things instead of serving each other. That's what Jesus came to do, right? That's what Jesus came to do. You know, maybe when you're younger, maybe even when you're older, you ever been disappointed at Christmas because you didn't get the gift you desired? Um, I maybe did when I was younger. You know, we say it's better to give than receive. And it truly is the case, isn't it, right? It really is. Um, to get a gift is, is, is great, but often we find greater value when we give to others and we serve other people. And so in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 8, 
Paul is quoting a hymn of that day. He'll get to that after the first couple verses. But he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion from your relationship with God, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and in one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do I need to read that again? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So now he's told us about how to be a servant. Now he says, I'm going to illustrate it. Why? Because it was found in Jesus Christ. He was very much God the very nature of God. He was God. He is equal with God in every shape, way, or form. And yet he did not consider equality, his status with God, something to be held to his own advantage, to hold on jealously and say, I'm not going to give up my rights as being king to serve those human beings down on earth. No way am I going to go down there and know what hunger is and humility and to be born in a stable. No way am I going to do that. Right? You following me? But he he was willing to let that go, to come to earth, to be clothed with flesh, and he made himself nothing. He never ceased to be God, but he gave up his right to be all-powerful, to be all-knowing. And he took on the very nature of a servant, and he was made in human likeness. So he took on that nature of a servant, and being found in a human appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus, as the servant king, came as a merciful king. He came to serve us and to focus on us. You really can't offer mercy and compassion to somebody if you're not going to have a servant's heart. You following me? And I believe our world is hungry for that as the people of God because we bear his name to serve the world around us. It doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves, but we have to keep that servant's mindset. Amen? Just like Jesus did. Jesus came to serve. Secondly, we see that Jesus came to counter injustice. I'm going to place my spirit in him. And in verse 3, it says that a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So broken reed, you, you know, if you go out into the country, right? And you see this, a reed, you know, cattails would, is what comes to my mind. You don't have as, we don't have as many cattails down here in Nebraska as like North Dakota had cattail sloughs everywhere. But a reed, you know, if you go by it, it's easily broken, right? And sometimes it's maybe hanging there just by a thread. You ever seen that? Maybe it's a certain type of plant or reed. It's just hanging by, by a thread. It doesn't take much to totally break that off, right? Or a smoldering wick. It's there, but the oil has run out, and so it's just kind of smoldering, right? Because it's lacking the oil, the fuel that it needs to burn brightly. Jesus would quote this passage in Isaiah. He is just been up, I believe, in his homeland in Galilee area doing ministry, and a man has a shriveled hand. 
Okay, he can't use it, it's shriveled. And he extends out his hand and Jesus heals it. Now, some of the people are amazed at what has just happened and what they've witnessed. And the Pharisees see that and they begin to plot how they can kill and take care of Jesus. They don't like what's happening. And so they withdraw to the wilderness to escape some of this hostility from the Pharisees. And it is there that he quotes, opens up, and he quotes from Isaiah. And he quotes this passage that he would come to minister to those who are broken, who are bruised. And one commentator says, Jesus, the servant king, is not dismissive of others, however useless or beyond repair, like the bruised reed, or however past it or near extinction, the smoldering wick, that they may seem. You ever felt like that? Your life has been bruised, or you just have nothing else to give? The negative statements imply the positive equivalence. He can mend the broken reed, and he can fan and deflame the smoldering wick. The former had been internally damaged. The latter lacks the external nourishment of oil. The servant is competent to cure and to supply. Amen? Jesus is able to mend, to heal, and to supply the needs that we have. Just as in Jesus' day, injustice is all around us, in our communities, our state, our nation, and in our world. Just open up the newspaper, right, or turn on the news. Um, you know, just some of the past week or two, just some of the, sh- the killings that have taken place or shootings. One was the stabbings out in Idaho or Utah, right? I mean, so not only were these lives taken prematurely, which would be unjust, right? We're assuming that they didn't do anything to deserve this, right? But then also then the families that are impacted um, by those consequences, Um, Jesus reached out to those who had been marginalized and overlooked by society, to those that were hurting, hurting, broken, and overlooked. People end up in a state of weakness. Why do they end up there? Ever thought about that? Sometimes it's poor decisions. Sometimes we make poor decisions. You ever made a poor decision? I, I have, yeah. Sometimes we end up in those situations because of decisions we make, but sometimes it has to do with the nation or country you were born in. Sometimes it has to do with if you were born in a wealthy family or a poor family or into poverty. That's not your fault. Sometimes it's you were born into the world with a, a defect, a disability. That's not your fault. And so... In our culture and in our society and our world, often those that are in power take advantage of those that have no power. Isn't that where most injustice takes place in some way, shape, or form? It does. And you look at the minor prophets, which I referred to earlier, you'll, you'll see a lot of references there to injustice, how those in power would take advantage of those that didn't have the power to defend themselves, to protect themselves. Micah 6.8 A great passage says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. O man, what is good, if you want to put it that way. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. One of the ways that we can encounter, or that we can counter injustice, is to show compassion 
and to show mercy, right? We can't always fix the injustice that takes place, and it doesn't mean that we are the ones that actually did the injustice, right? But when we see the injustice, when we offer compassion and mercy, it counters the injustice. Sometimes our first response is to judge people. We see somebody on the street, a homeless person. Oh, they must have made poor decisions. Right? I know we would never do that. One day Jesus was ministering. He had his disciples with him. This is found in John 9, 1 through 5. And they saw a blind man. He was blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? He sensed that. Right? Judge. Because there was this mentality, oh, if, if the bad things happen to people, somebody sinned, either them or their parents. And we are not much different from that mindset sometimes. Rabbi, who sinned? Jesus said, neither this man nor his para- parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, he must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Injustice has been with us since the beginning of time, probably back since Cain killed Abel, right? First part of Genesis. It's been there. Why? Because people can be selfish, they can be jealous, they can be uncaring. People are evil. You know, I, we, there is that mentality, oh, that people at the heart are good. And I, I want to believe that, but everybody has evil in their heart, if we're honest. And that's why we need God to redeem us. You know, we can't always bring justice due to our role in life. But we, cannot, we can counter injustice by extending love, grace, mercy, compassion in the name of Jesus. And when life crushes people or knocks the wind out of them, to be that person that picks them up and shows some grace and compassion. He's able to heal. He's able to restore. Amen? That's what he came to do. Number three, he came to set the captive free. Verse seven, to open the eyes of the, that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who are in darkness. So the analogy here is our people in a figurative prison. I don't think he was literally to come and break open the prisons, right? But people are in prisons more than we realize. And maybe even this morning you find yourself in a prison. No, you don't have shackles on your hands and your feet. But in your heart, there's shackles. From things, maybe it's behaviors, maybe it's besetting sins that you can't break out of. Um, You want to do what you know you should do, but you don't do it. Paul says that, right, in Corinthians. What I want to do, I... I don't, right? Eat healthy, right? Since we just got done with Thanksgiving. What I want to do, I don't do, but what I don't want to do, that I do, Paul says, right? And so we don't really walk in true freedom. We're captives to our own sinful nature, human nature, if you want to call it that. And Jesus came to set us free from our sin, from the things that would take us to a Christless eternity 
and he went to the cross to take our sin. And he came by his Holy Spirit to free us from our addictions, from behaviors, from the things that hold us. And it can even be the hurts of the past, right? Some of the hurts of the past just hold us in in bondage, folks. And Jesus needs to heal and set us free from those. Spiritual darkness, he came as to be the light of the world, showing the way for people to be saved. His deliverance extended to Jew and Gentile alike, and you'll even see that in the Gospels. The the Syrophoenician woman, so she was Gentile, the north part of Israel. And Jesus was ministering to the Jewish people, and she said, and he even says, you know what, I was sent to the lost people of Israel. You know, boy, you think Jesus is nice, don't you? And he tells this woman that has this need with her daughter that needs to be healed. Jesus says, hey, I wasn't sent to you. Oh, wow, right? She says, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall to the floor. Jesus says, man, I've never seen such great faith. Your daughter's healed. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And see, that is the greatest bondage of all. We can say, yeah, I can live a disciplined life. I don't have any addictions. I don't have any things that are holding me down. But there's one thing. that When you die, there is no way you can escape the power of death. There's no way, folks. You're going to die without Christ and you're going to go to hell. There is no way you can break. I don't care how good you live your life. You cannot escape the power of death. It has you. You can't break it. But Jesus came to break the power, the one that holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to free those who all their lives have been in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And you're an Abraham descendant if you know Christ. For this reason he had been able, he was made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And he might make atonement for the sins of people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to save completely those who are looking for salvation because he took the penalty of death upon himself. Amen? And he saved us. He delivered us from the power of death. Death, the stinger, you know, a bee that has that power to sting you, right? Or a wasp. Jesus took the sting out of death so that when we die, we go into his presence. Amen? He broke the power. Jesus came to set the captive free. I don't know if you've watched The Chosen. Anybody watch The Chosen series? So there's one, two, three is now being released in the theaters and they're beginning that. I encourage you to do that over this Advent season. To, uh, If you have Prime or I think even some of the other Netflix, Hulu, you can probably watch seasons one and two with no fee. Um, but in that first year, I believe, you have the, the encounter with Mary Magdalene. They follow her story. And there is some, you know, they, they fill in the blanks that we just don't know about. So they're they're putting some stuff in there that... We don't know if it's true or not, right? 
but they depict Mary Magdalene who is possessed by evil spirits. And nobody is able to deliver her from this. They even have Nicodemus, the priest, come. So that's a part we don't know if that's scriptural or not. I mean, they put it in there. But they're not able to set her free until she encounters Jesus. And she's set free. She's made whole. She's restored. I believe that's what Jesus came to do, to set the captives free. Amen? And to restore. I'm going to have the musicians come at this time. From Isaiah 42, we see the servant king is a merciful king. You know, the difference between mercy and grace, is there a difference? Well, usually mercy is seen as we don't get what we deserve, right? So if we've sinned and we've messed up, we're not given the punishment that we deserve. That's mercy, right? So Jesus extends to us mercy because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but he extends mercy. Grace is then God's favor that he gives to us that we don't deserve. He extends to us his love and his compassion that we don't deserve, but he gives it to us anyway. He had said, in fact, it says that he lavishes his love upon us, Ephesians says. We don't deserve it. That's his grace, right? It's his grace that God extends to us so that we have the ability to respond to God and to say, Christ, come into my heart and to my life and be my Lord and my Savior. I don't think if we didn't, if there was no grace, I don't even think we'd have the ability to approach God because we'd be consumed. We'd be destroyed by his holiness and his righteousness. And I think maybe in our culture today, we underestimate what it is to be before the presence of a holy God. Like Isaiah, chapter 6. And he comes before the presence of God and he says, I'm undone in the presence of the King. But Jesus, the angel comes from coals from the altar, cleanses his lips. And Isaiah, God says, who's going to go for me? Who's going to be a prophet to the nations? Who's going to tell people uh, about me so that they may be saved? And Isaiah says, Lord, what? Send me. Could you make that your prayer this morning? Because I could ask, who's going to tell your neighbor about Christ, the light of the world? at this Christmas time? Who, who's going to maybe invite them to a Christmas Eve service or a Christmas Day service that they can hear a gospel presentation? Oh, somebody else would do that. Maybe not. Maybe God has placed you where you are at, at work or in your neighborhood, in your school, in your community. And God says, who am I going to send Can he count on you to be the light of the world? To display mercy and compassion as the Son of God did when he came to earth? You know, it says that in John chapter 1 that Jesus came full of grace and... Anybody know? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I've shared this before. And you'll see this throughout the gospel. Gospels. 
When we lead with truth, when we lead with truth, it's often seen as cold and judgmental. And and I think sometimes in the Christian world we've done that too often. We lead with truth. But when we lead with grace, as we often see with Jesus, that He extends mercy and grace to people. He heals them. He forgives them. But then He doesn't leave them there. He then follows it up with truth, right? The woman caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus and the Pharisees wanted to see her stoned. That was the penalty. We don't know where the guy was, but she's brought there. And Jesus forgives her, right? Extends mercy and compassion. But he doesn't leave her there. He says what? Go and sin no more. That's the truth. Grace, truth. When we just show grace, it means that we're not telling people the truth of how to come to know Christ and to walk before Him. And if we only tell them the truth, it's cold because there's no grace there. So we lead with grace and then with truth. Does that make sense? You are God's hand extended. You are God's hand extended. And sometimes I think we think that, you know what, people in our culture, they should know about Christ. It's Christmas. They should know that Jesus came, that God sent His Son to die on the cross. They should know the plan of salvation. And maybe they have. Maybe they've heard it on the radio. They've seen it on TV. They've heard it, but it's never connected. But maybe you are the vessel that it needs to come through where you share how God has extended His grace and mercy in your life and changed your life. And you share your story. It's kind of like, wow, He did that for you? It's kind of like, yeah, He did. And they put their faith and trust because now it's connected to a story, somebody that they know. And maybe it's a point in their life where they're ready, their heart's open to receive. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation, whether you're watching online, whether you're here. Maybe you've prayed the prayer many times. I'm going to encourage us all to pray, but maybe today is the day of salvation. I don't want anybody to leave this place this morning having heard the message and walk away unchanged, not knowing Christ, not having the hope of salvation in their life. And Scripture is very clear that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. That's the beginning and then we begin to walk with Him and we trust Him for our our salvation and walk by faith. If we do that, we have the hope of salvation. And so, will you join me in just praying together this morning? If you make it your prayer, I believe God honors that. And so let's pray together this morning saying, Dear Father, Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my doing things my own way. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. And help me to be a light of the world and to walk in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, I pray upon each one that is here today May we hear the words of Isaiah 
where he was presented with the mission of God. There's a lot of people that God could have called, but God says, I want you, Isaiah. He was human. He was a man. And yet God purified him. He says, I'm going to send you. And Isaiah says, I'll go. Isaiah probably was not a perfect man, but he says, I'll go. And today, Lord God, it is Christmas time. It is Advent. People are thinking about God sending his son. And sometimes the message of the gospel gets lost in all the, the shopping and all the other things, Lord. But Lord God, may we keep our focus on that Jesus is the light of the world, that he came into our dark world to show us the light and to show us the way. And that we are the ones that you've called to share that light with the world around us. Let us do it with grace, compassion, with mercy, and then truth. Lord, I pray your hand upon your people this morning. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Father, go with us this day. Bless our week and our afternoon. And Lord God, let us take the message of Isaiah. May we apply it to our own life, Lord God, and receive of your mercy and your grace, but also share it with the world around us, Lord. Share that message with the world around us. We give you the thanks. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you today. It's good to have Abdiel drumming for us today from our Hispanic congregation. You know, Victor and Yolanda have been praying. So it's been 16 years you guys have been ministering. And they're, they're seeing some good things happening in their Hispanic service. They're seeing some growth there. And uh, so very excited, very excited what God is doing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Greet each other as you leave. Some good coffee back there. I'd recommend the <clears throat> Sumatra. It's very good. Very good. God bless